When you are building something no one has ever seen, something no one has ever imagined, who can you turn to for help? The answer is the other people who are facing the same issues you are. Those product inventing, boundary pushing, design obsessed folks who are just like you. Welcome to AWS Startup Stories. I'm Michelle Kung. And I'm Michael Copeland. What follows are the tools that work, the leadership practices that make a difference, and the lessons you only learn by building a company. And one more thing, what startup jockeys do with a very rare item, their downtime. So let's get to it. Welcome to the AWS Startup Podcast. I'm here with Michael Masandu, who is the CEO and founder of La La Land, uh, which, oddly, has nothing to do with a musical. Uh, Michael, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, hi, Michael, and uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. You're in Amsterdam. Uh, I want to ask first, of course, uh, how, how you are, how are things, how are you and yours? Right, extremely hot. Uh, it's one of the nice days where we got uh, the beautiful sun, but a bit too much. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, uh, then it must be sunny if you're saying it's a bit too much. So La La Land comes out of your expertise and experience. You're, you're, you did graduate studies in AI machine learning. And I have to say, La La Land is one of the most unique applications of that. Um, of generative machine learning, but but explain to us, you know, first off, what La La Land is and does, and then how you came up with the idea. Right. Well, um, I think first of all, as you said, we've got nothing to do with the movie. First and foremost, <laughs> we're generating these non-existing, realistic human beings uh, intended for the e-commerce and apparel industry. Uh, so these basically what we used to call avatars, but we don't use that word anymore as a, it, you can't distinguish them from real people. This is in, in, in a nutshell what we do. And so I know you do it via generative uh, machine learning, but how do you do it? Let's, let's put it that way. Right. So first and foremost, not born in Amsterdam, raised in uh, Africa and Zimbabwe, grew up there and uh, met my first love, which is technology. Back in the day, there were expert systems that were being used. Kept on going uh, until I came to the Netherlands to do a bachelor in computer science, where I met my co-founder, Ugnus. Uh, we did a machine learning class together, ended up doing um, artificial intelligence as a master. And initially, it was this research component that was uh, not just about generative AI, but specifically generative adversarial networks. And uh, it was about experimentation within the latent space. Mm -hmm. So from uh, data that's generated uh, to actually manipulate different angles. Uh, so you're training on different parameters and following different functions to see if you can optimize things. So we didn't actually start with full body humans. Uh, we initially started with uh, other applications, which led us to several pivots that we ended up taking. We were incubated in a few uh, incubators. Uh, it's really difficult when you're starting off with a solution rather than the problem, which was our case. Right. Uh, but of course, from uh, as you can imagine with Lean Startup, uh, Eric Reese does this a lot with the build measure learn. After several iterations, we led to a pivot where we, we, we zeroed in on the diversity and inclusivity problem within apparel and fashion. Well, so let's back up a, a little bit. What, um, you're, you're talking about adversarial networks, and maybe not everybody knows what that is and how that is a, a sort of a technique to come at the right, you know, object or solution or, or answer, right. really. How does that work in the context of what you guys are building? Right. I like to use a, a poetic analogy of how <laughs> GANs work. Okay. So this is derived from, obviously, Ian Goodfellow, who uh, first came up with generative adversarial networks. 
which are basically two neural networks, uh, one called discriminator and one called the generator, that compete going hand in hand. Using an analogy, if you have a forger and if you have a detective, the forger is the generator. It has one job, right? It's trying to forge a painting, basically. So it starts off with noise. Eventually, it starts drawing and producing from low resolution to higher resolution. And now the discriminator, the detective in the situation, has one job that's to distinguish what's real and what's not real. Uh, it's fed with the training set of real examples. And only when the generator can fool the discriminator is when uh, you see your model converges, right? And uh, you actually see these realistic examples of generative AI. So it's it's more about capturing variation within the data set. So it's probabilistic distribution. To kind of end the poetic analogy, it's when the painting is perfect and you know indiscernible from some master painter, um, or in your case, from an actual human. Absolutely. How does that get you from sort of a, a perfect form of a human to diversity and inclusion? And why that leap for you? Right. I mean, a person of color as a founder, selling diversity and uh, inclusion uh, must mean it's about diversity and inclusion, right? <laughs> I guess, yeah. No, no. Uh, we hear this all the time as well, uh, but it's a real problem that we are solving where it starts with, within the training data we use itself, is uh, there's a lot of biases, right? From Caucasian women uh, uh, being most dominant. And this translates itself into fashion industry itself. I don't know. Have you shopped online before? I work for Amazon, Michael. Of course I have. <laughs> yeah, but so I, you know, I buy all a, a range of things, you know, ranging from, you know, tools to fix my old motorcycle to clothes from right. major department stores that are available on, uh, online, that kind of thing. Awesome. So if you're shopping at a major store, right, this is where the problem exists. Before you purchase your product, if it's a t-shirt or dress, uh, we're talking about the sun is out, really good weather. Yeah. Just before you purchase your product, before you add that product to the shopping cart, the problem lies exactly there. The reality is you look nothing like the model that's displayed in front of you. And uh, more from a different size tone, right? If, you, if you're a different size than the model, how do you see how the garment is going to translate onto your body? Right. It's even worse with different ethnicities. Uh, think of it, Caucasian, uh, Asian, uh, or, or, or Black, right? It makes no sense how online shopping exists on today's day and age. How am I supposed to purchase a product solely on a guesstimate or how it's going to translate onto my own unique body? So I think this is this is where we exist itself. So we offer a solution where we can actually give diverse models for brands to actually um, upload these models onto their product detail pages. And um, the whole offering, right? It's like, why weren't brands doing this in the first place? In their defense, it's really expensive for them to shoot different type of models to show to different customer segments. This is happening about two to eight times every single year. So it makes sense from their saying, from, from a cost-saving point of view, hence why they had to sell us a dream and not sell us reality. However, that's a thing of the past, right? Diversity and inclusion, it's not a passing trade. It has arrived and it's yet to stay. For the fact that we actually offering them up to 70%, 70% of their cost-saving, no more photographers, venue hiring, models, just for them to still achieve diversity and inclusion. So that was the first starting point for us. It was the first pain point. But of course, with that led to the fact of two major foundations, which was improving conversion. So to actually to see if people actually do like uh, seeing models that resemble them, which we tested. Yeah, whether I buy more um, or more quickly because I can see myself. Absolutely. 
And uh, the most important one was the returns. Wow. So the Dutchies, I'm being in the Netherlands, are very popular for their 44% return rate on fashion <laughs> items. Interesting. It's about 10% higher than the world average. It was great for us because where we are, uh, the problem is so magnified. Uh, returns not only for the brands in terms of the cost that they have to pay for these free shippings, but also for our environment, right? 2.3 million tons of waste right. is generated by thrown away returns. So for us, whatever we did to this return rate, uh, we're still measuring it as we are live on uh, some customers' web shops. It's such a significant impact where it's not about just diversity and inclusion, but you're also uh, combating the fact of the return rate and uh, what that's doing to the environmental impact. So yes, it's a real problem we're solving. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be having an opportunity to even be solving a problem like this. What pushback have you gotten from those who you know, are, are working toward the same goals around diversity and inclusion or have you? No, not necessarily. Um, not necessarily yet. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, it's a very like like as you started out, it's a solution that only somebody you know who who's an expert in AI and machine learning um, would have thought of. But as you describe it, it, it's this way for us all to see ourselves, right? Right. But how then if we only see ourselves, and this is oftentimes, at least in the United States, a problem with news, for example, where you only hear and see and watch the things that kind of are, you're inclined toward. How do you then get that diversity to sort of spread more widely? If I, I'm used to seeing, you know, white Caucasian models, how do I get served up something different and then sort of increase that diversity more broadly? Right. So um, all our models comes from user input. So when you're shopping on this big retailer or this big brand, whatever the case is, you yourself are actually inputting some uh, metrics, whether it's your skin tone, your size uh, or your age. We're also doing age. We're even going to the extent where, I mean, this is a little bit down the roadmap, but it's a bit of an announcement where you can upload a selfie of your face and put some body measurements, your bust, your waist and your height. And you see yourself as the avatar as oh, you shop cool. online wearing different garment. So um, yeah, it, it still does individualize the process in this way where you're not just served things you don't want to see. It's your user input of what you want to put in. Right. So for if you look for an example like Fortnite, who's got, I think, 80% of their revenue comes from in-app, uh, in-game purchases. And a lot of this is from, other than the weapons, of course, is the skins, right? So people right. really have a psychological need to perceive to, to, to have control of how they perceived online right through avatars and things like this so it's the same thing when you're shopping online if your next look is to have red hair uh, you can literally play around with this as you're shopping right so it's it's it does go really uh full fun when you're also talking about the customer experience i know that that this has been uh something that that retailers have been trying to solve for for a long time these kind of smart Absolutely. smart mirrors where you get to stand in front of it and you know see what the the clothes might look like if they're not available live and especially because we can't can't go anywhere Absolutely it's 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 been a big white elephant in the room as we call it a lot of people have come with different solutions but i think uh with gans specifically it's really really an interesting time to see okay from computation power this is possible, right? So we've got a population of models where you usually have CGI, which maybe might take uh, a few weeks or months to get a few characters uh, involved. And not only that, but hugely expensive, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So of course, for us, uh, computation-wise, is where the most costs we do incur. Uh, but thankfully, we also partnered up with you guys, uh, with AWS, who gave us some credits, which was great, at least for us to kind of get a polished product off the ground uh, to be used. 
that's one of the things I wanted to ask. Like, why is it possible now? Because we've had bad versions of this. You know, bad's maybe the wrong word, but less sophisticated versions of this, you know, for a while now. Like you said, it started with avatars and, you know, you could march around, you know, looking like a, I don't know, uh, an elf or something, whatever you wanted. But yours are, like you say, just hyper-realistic. I mean, it's, I mean, they're too good looking. Absolutely. Don't, get, don't get me wrong, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, they look like, you know, a photograph of a person. Right. So I think um, I always say it's, it's, it's four things of why now. I mean, the biggest part is the technology feasibility of it, right? Uh, in terms of high quality resolution, uh, a lot of research has only come out for the past years now of how to actually uh, be generating at least with a uh, uh, good computation that can uh, back it up. Of course, the second part is the market desirability. The time is now really for an inclusion and diversity. People feel really underrepresented. I'm, I'm telling you this as a black person who shops online and uh, uh, seeing Caucasian people doesn't always tell you how a product is going to look like on yourself. Right. And uh, in terms of sustainable uh, fashion, the time is also now where brands need to be more accountable of the impact and the harm they do to the environment, where this returns, whether CO2 produced from the returns, whatever the case is. And uh, of course, digital fashion is just on the surge right now. We saw this a lot from, unfortunately, COVID-19 hit us. But uh, in terms of digital fashion, it was just a way for businesses to look for new solutions, uh, which did help a lot. Yeah. How do you think about the deep fake problem? Not to say that this is something that you guys are going to experience, but but what, what you are able to do implies that like if you have these, you know, realistic looking human beings, I mean, and increasingly those will be out there in the world, but they don't exist in the world in a real way. I mean, how do you think about that as a, an AI expert? Right. I mean, when you look at deep fakes, right, uh, I always look at the application or the use case of technology. You know, they often say the, uh, the road to, to hell is paved with good intentions. So, of course, I think you, uh, you, you see different technologies used for different evil applications, depending on who's uh, adopting them. So same with, with deepfakes, uh, where you have maybe political manipulation with synthesized data, where someone doesn't know that this media is actually not real. And it's very interesting that you ask uh, from this perspective. But in terms of our solution, where we're offering is more uh, to solve a problem of diversity and inclusivity rather to add a problem to the world of, uh, of course, the fact that uh, our models are generated. A lot of people ask, does this mean models are going to go into obliqueness, right? Yeah. Which is not the case. Of course not. Of course not. Our training data is used from, of course, you have to have real examples and things like this. So it does go hand in hand. I just think that what you just said, though, is is the, the right example of that, that technology can be used for all kinds of things. And, and, and I think also we're at this point as a culture where... Like you said, this wasn't possible, you know, until a year or two ago anyway. And so, you know, as we do, we'll become accustomed to, you know, having, you know, your models out there in the world and, and seeing ourselves and maybe seeing a hyper-realistic version of ourselves, you know, shopping and wearing clothes and trying things on um, in a digital way. Absolutely. But there'll be other applications of these kinds of things. And as a, you know, we just need to wrap our heads around it. And I think the sort of fear of like, oh gosh, what happens, you know, all these deepfakes, that as we wrap our heads around it, as it gets normalized, as we get more comfortable, which we tend to do for good or for ill, you know, this kind of unease will go away. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, so is this your first startup? Um, I imagine it, it is because you haven't had much time between graduate school and uh, and now to start a bunch of companies. Absolutely. I mean, um, of course, so I've grown up in uh, in Africa, in Zimbabwe, right? So I know in the Valley, a lot of uh, ideas come from inspiration. Uh, but where we're from, it's a lot from desperation and survival. So we've grown up, I've grown up in the ecosystem where people are really great at capturing value. And being raised in such an environment, I think, uh, of course, I've been involved in different projects and small companies as we went along, which does teach you a lot of business experience. And uh, But yeah, having a funded company is exciting times now, uh, a lot of learning curves uh, as we go along. But uh, yeah, no, really excited about it. Well, and it sounds like you've learned a lot and you already know a lot, but as a technologist, how are you finding, you know, you're, you're the CEO. How are you finding the business side of it? You're not sitting there, you know, building models anymore, you know, you're running, a, you're running a company. Yeah. So it comes with its challenges, but um, I really feel like uh, having the technology know-how is kind of an unfair advantage. So a lot of our early days uh, of first year was just spent on the customer side. So this is just customer meetings before we even started building product. And uh, this just, it, it really gave a, a big favorable advantage to us where not only are you listening to see their concerns and how they would be using uh, your solution or what to build in the first place, you also know how exactly you would integrate or the features that we're talking about that you would like to adopt. Uh, you actually know how to build them. And now as things grow, it's definitely an exciting time that we still want to be a tech company. So uh, the scalability of things are definitely a priority for us and uh, wavering things like this. There's a lot of learning uh, to do and still going ahead. But uh, I think we're really happy the way we uh, are so far. It's a team size now of uh, nine people in total. So uh, steadily growing. That's great. How did you get your first handful of customers? Like what happened and what do you think convinced them? Right. I think I, I, we, we have to owe a lot of our success to incubators, right? So you hear these incubators, accelerators, yep. where they really turn projects into companies. We call them about cheat sheets to the market. So we did one called Utrecht Inc. in Utrecht, and we also did one uh, called ACE, Amsterdam Center of Entrepreneurship. And literally, this is exactly, it's an ecosystem built for uh, exactly this. Like you might be walking down a hall and uh, you're asking, oh, do you know someone in the fashion world? And I'm like, oh, yes, I know Femke, maybe a Dutch name, you know? And yeah, sure, maybe she still works there. You follow up not to know that she's now the head of the e-commerce manager, you know? So it's a perfect person to speak to at a really high brand. So organic growth through networking was a big one. I think now when we're coming into more maturity and looking to scale, our target is for marketplaces like Magento and Shopify where we are developing plugins there, right? as well as improving our SaaS to uh, offering to different re uh, resellers and brands. Wow. Well, it sounds like it's going amazingly well. So congratulations on that. Thanks. Thank you very much. All right, let's get into these questions that we like to ask everyone and uh, see what you got for us. So give us a, a, a tool that you use on a regular basis. GIFs or Jiffies or GIFs. Do you know these? Yeah, yeah. I pronounce it GIF, but you can pronounce it GIF if you want. There you go. It's, it's the biggest <laughs> debate, right? I think um, uh, I love it because it just eases up the mood and uh, it reminds us not to take ourselves too seriously, uh, especially working in, uh, in, in the professional landscape. Right. Um, so do you use them in like, you know, sign off with an email? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Not in an email, maybe in a message or something. Okay. Next time I text you, I, I expect uh, a lot of them. <laughs> a leadership practice or routine? 
something that you do, you're running a company, you're, you built things with teams, but something that you do that you think really works. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, yes, I would have to go with conscious listening. I think it's, uh, it's really underestimated the, the, the point of just listening well, uh, whether uh, not just to what's being said, but why it's being said. Like understanding maybe where the frustration is coming from or whatever the case is. I think so conscious listening or whisper it. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, how did you come to that? And how did you sort of like land on, it is a thing, but if we're unaware of it, you know, how did you get to it? Right, because I think a lot of the time when we're having conversations or uh, listening to someone, we're all in preparation to give a reaction or a response where then you miss what's really being said. Not just listening to what, as I'm saying, the why, the why part or where it's coming from is such an important thing, especially with dealing with people when you're talking about emotional intelligence, right? So it's really sincerely understanding where things are coming from or what's causing some things because that's where often the root of a problem is or it could be a, a positive thing as well to see where the joy or the enthusiasm is coming from. Right. And and just in practical terms, I mean, I like the way you describe it where you're not kind of sitting there ready to like have a response or you yeah. know, have the right <laughs> answer, but you're, yeah. how do you actually do it? You just sit back and really focus on on well you you described it but conscious listening but you right. have to really put some effort in yeah absolutely so it's listening actually listening it sounds a bit strange to say it right because we naturally think we're listening uh, but this is not always the case it's actually listening not to give a response as i, as I mentioned yeah that's a good way to describe it yeah you're listening not to sort of l listen for an opening but just to listen all right a Lesson learned. Now, this could be something you were happy to learn or something that you were never want to learn again. Uh, a lesson learned. Uh, oh, hands down, of course. It has to be uh, the black swans, the unknown unknowns, uh, making a naive observation from the past to make a definite representation of the future. Uh, it's sometimes nice to know that you don't know everything. Uh, the unknown unknowns has to be black swans for sure. And and did you come to that because you guys you you had this assumption when building La La Land or or something else? And how did you arrive at that as something that's important to you? Right, I think it's just um, of course uh, just being in business uh, on a day to day basis. There's so many things that you don't know you don't know, uh, which is an important thing to understand and uh, to acknowledge. Yeah, it's just there's a lot of uncertainty, and uh, the more that you, instead of trying to de-risk it. Sometimes it's accepting that there is uncertainty. Right. So that you're not just, you know, crushed by something when it goes the wrong way or you didn't anticipate it or, or, or something. Yeah. Absolutely. For a guy running his first startup, you seem to know a lot about running a startup, um, I have to say. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, uh, in your vast spare time, which you don't have, um, what are you binging on? What are you watching, listening to, reading? Um, could be eating for that matter. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, watching or binging, nothing at the moment, uh, just due to the fact you really highlighted that we don't have time, working about six hours of the seven days. I think before Corona, uh, COVID hit, a lot from podcasts, right? Uh, Masters of Scale was a big one. And um, yeah, I think really a lot was spent on the podcast side of, of, of things. Well, good. Since you're on a podcast, I like to hear that. I'm definitely going to add this one to the list. <laughs> well, let's see. We have GIFs, GIFs, uh, depending on how you pronounce it. And I like this because so you don't, you know, remind yourself that you don't have to take everything so seriously. Right. Conscious listening, 
black swans as a as a leader right. knowing that you don't know everything the uh unknown unknowns right and uh finally listening to some podcasts um including this one but masters of scale and and others well so what's next for la la land what's what's kind of the next milestone you guys want to hit and and what are you working towards that we should keep our eyes out for right so in terms of from a founders, I think I think you have founders as listeners. I think our focus is all on revenue, right? It's uh, it's literally blitzscaling, which is just moving with explosive speed to try to take over this market, uh, and that's really next. We're really trying to uh, take the fashion industry by storm uh, with our offering and uh, really solve this problem. As I said, and I'll say it again because it's really a slogan for us that you know diversity and inclusion. It's not a passing trend. It has arrived and it's here to stay. Well, with your work, I know that 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 is true, and uh, and we will see it more and more. And I look forward to it, honestly. I look forward to my online shopping experience where I get to have La La Land as the engine beneath it or in front of it, oh, however sure. it may case be. So, Michael Musandu, uh, CEO and co-founder of La La Land, I want to thank you so much, and uh, hopefully, we will see you in. Amsterdam, in the Bay Area, in New York, wherever fashion is fashionable, um, I'm sure we will see you. Absolutely. Thanks. And thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun on this. Likewise. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Cheers. If you are looking to get started on the cloud with AWS, our Activate program provides startups with a host of benefits, including AWS credits, technical support, training, and other resources to help grow your business. Head to aws.amazon.com backslash activate for more. Do us a favor and leave us a review. And if you know someone who we should have on the show, or maybe it's you, reach out to us at startupstories at amazon.com. And subscribe to AWS Startup Stories wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.